This podcast contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. It is for entertainment purposes only. is one of the top reasons long-term committed romantic relationships end. But does it have to be? Can couples predict or prevent cheating? When are relationships beyond repair? And when might couples therapy help? Even if you're in a solid partnership, are there ways to insulate a connection against outside temptations? Whether an affair is sexual, emotional, cyber, object, or some type of hybrid, Can couples process and move past affairs when there's so much invested and so much at stake? So these are just some of the questions Wendy and I wanted to explore in this episode. And to do this, we invited couples and sex therapist Tony Davis to join us for a lively discussion via Skype on how couples are impacted by betrayals of trust and where love remains, what people can do to grow through the pain and rebuild. All right, let's rock and roll. I see, I see Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Tony. How are you? Good. So welcome back, listeners, to The Relationship Show. Uh, I'm Miss Jenny. And I'm Dr. Wendy. And today we're talking with our friend Tony Davis. Uh, He is an L.A.-based LMFT with a private practice in Hollywood. Tony is an A-A-C-A-S-T. How do they pronounce that? A-C-A-S-T? Uh, ah, cast. Uh, American Association of Certified Couples and Sex Therapists. He's a certified couples and sex therapist, and he consults with the the ACAST staff at UCLA. And he works with adult couples and individuals, teaching them how to talk to their partners about feelings without getting critical or defensive. Uh, very important uh, when mm-hmm. dealing with couples. <laughs> it's a learned skill. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you for joining us this morning, Tony. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Did uh, I just want to start uh, with a little bit of something that will not be evergreen, but did either of you watch uh, Stormy Daniels last night? The 60 Minutes I did interview? Not. When did I you- did. Yes, I did, girl. It was fascinating. Very interesting. <laughs> Well, uh, so that's kind of a topic of the moment uh, that kind of comes into what I wanted to talk about today. There's been a lot of discussion online regarding that but that's bringing us into this topic of infidelity in committed relationships. So I want to ask you guys, what, what causes cheating? Why do people cheat? Tony, why do people cheat? <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously, there's there's many reasons, but I kind of when <clears throat> I'm looking at affairs, I break it down to two kinds. 
The first one is actually the most rare. That's when one foot is out of the relationship, that the cheating is the first step out. And at least that's not what usually comes into my office. Usually those couples are going to divorce court. But what comes into my office is usually the second kind where the cheating is the indication of an unexploded atom bomb in the in the relationship. So it's it's kind of a symptom. Um, and the whys have to do with um, and you know similar to any acting out, you know whether somebody's withdrawing or <clears throat> you know staying out too long with their friends. Um, and it's different for men and women. You know, uh, I'm finding a, a lot of women are actually having affairs. Um, on one hand, it's good for them, but of course, it you ha you still have to be responsible to the relationship. So there's many reasons. I hope that that uh, the main reason though is you know the sex has dropped off. Somebody doesn't feel uh, comfortable being that vulnerable. They feel criticized. Um, the, the relationship feels dull and unexciting, and they feel dull and unexcited about themselves, et cetera, et cetera. So do you see any correlations or trends or, yeah, themes, patterns for gender, age, cultural uh, background, or is it kind of streamlined? It can happen to anyone, anywhere. Well, it, it can. I mean, um, I always tell people that monogamy is not, you know, and the science supports this, it's not really natural. So it's not that it can't be done and I support it if that's what a couple wants, but you need to know what's what you're up against if you're gonna choose monogamy and it has to be chosen. You can't just say it on your wedding day and expect that to last for 50 years. Um, the trends, men fool around for a lot of the same reasons that they always had because they, they could um, and and also, men know a lot less about sex than they think they do. You know, um, and I think that insecurity causes a lot of that to happen. One of my favorite movies is is from 1938, The Women. I love The Women. It's a great movie. One of my <laughs> favorites. Reasons, it's almost a perfect movie. But what I love about it is, of course, when uh, the mother of, uh, of um, Mary Hines whose husband has cheated on her with Joan Crawford, the mother says that men are not as sensible as women, that when men get bored with themselves, they need to see themselves anew in another woman's eyes. Whereas women are much more practical. When women get bored with themselves, they change their hair, or they change the furniture, you know? And that was a great line, even for 1938. You know, it still kind of applies today, although I notice that women are feeling more freedom to go out and experiment by seeing themselves anew in somebody else's eyes. Some of that from what I was reading it seems to correlate with women becoming more prominent in the workplace, um, becoming more equal earners. And so there's less of a threat of losing a relationship um, based on the power difference um, in financial, um, you know, childbearing, all of these things uh, factor in a lot to why women are having relationships outside their primary one uh, or sure. not even relationships, encounters. I mean, there's kind of varying 
thing. So yeah, you're you're right. The data is showing that, but it could also be a change in what women are now comfortable revealing because there's also been a question about are men over exaggerating uh, or sort of overstating their promiscuity and women maybe under reporting uh, what they may have been doing uh, and so maybe some of that is evening out. I also saw some data that was showing that the ages that people uh, tend to get involved outside of the marriages uh, or relationships uh, they kind of they peak you know they kind of peter out around 50 like 50 is which is kind of interesting because we think about midlife crisis but I think people kind of mellow out by then but they were looking at ages of like 18 to I think 35 as being like the largest group of people I don't know I don't know what you guys are seeing in your couple's work. I just want to jump in and say that I agree with you that uh, for both of you, you both said about the change and the shift in women. And, you know, I one of the therapists that I really love is Dr. Pat Allen. She's in her 80s and she's got that wonderful book, Getting to I Do. But she it's very old school, you know, Annie Ma and Annie Moss kind of uh, male and female energy. And so, you know, the shift is really women have, I feel, have never been so alpha before. And it's also what I found in my practice. Um, Tony, I'm curious what you think is that men have felt more over the past few years emasculated and really confused, not knowing really what to do with all this male energy that these women have, you know, there, there's a lot of wonderful empowerment, a lot of shifting, um, a lot of exploring, but, you know, we have men who feel powerless and really confused and, and, and helpless saying, here I am. And, you know, old school way, <clears throat> I have all this alpha energy to give. And, and I've seen a lot of conflict with women also being so alpha energy, male energy. Yeah, I think that there's shifts in both genders. Men are very confused and women are getting less confused, I think, because, uh, you know, there's been a, a, a myth for m many years that women have a lower sex drive than men. And that's that's scientifically not true. The truth is that women's sex drive is suppressed usually from a very early time. And men, you know, they're confused because um, there's a power shift in the culture. And it's affecting how they feel about themselves as men, how they feel about, you know, I see couples where when the woman is making more money, the man feels emasculated. Yep. It affects every yep. part of his identity, including his ability to perform. You know, so that tells you a lot about how men have constructed their identities as men for many years. I think the shift is good. Um, but it could, you know, it has, there's growing pains like anything. Well, it's definitely a shift. So I'm hearing that we've got general relationship dissatisfaction is part of what is driving people to cheat, um, to this lack of intimacy and a power shift. What about low self-esteem? And th there used to also be that, that, that saying of, um, 
a man is only as faithful, and I love that it's a man because it could be a person, but a man is only as faithful as his opportunities uh, or as his options. Would either of you agree with that? I mean, I, I kind of find that a very, um, I don't know, like limiting. It's sort of saying like, yeah, any man will cheat if he can. Well, if you're trying not to cheat, I don't think it's good to meet the guys for a drink at a strip club. Um, <laughs> You know, in the same way that I try and stay away from chips so I don't keep them in my house. I mean, I recognize that if I have chips in the house, I'm probably going to eat them. I don't think it's because I have low self-esteem. It's because, you know, that genetic craving of salt. So what I would say is, first of all, with uh, Jenny, I want to say perfectly good relationships experience infidelities. Absolutely. Uh, what a lot of What a lot of people don't understand is that People cheat. Uh, the people who cheat generally love their partners. So you have to look at, at the, um, the complexity of human sexuality and the fact that somebody can be in love with their partner and having a great sex life and still cheat because you're dealing with right brain functions. And the left brain might go, logically, I'm committed to monogamy. Um, the left brain is going to go, this feels really good right now, and I want it. You know, and so um, self-esteem. Sure, I mean, if somebody feels bad about themselves, and their relationship isn't helping them to feel better, of course they're going to be pulled to somebody flirting with them. And what I want to say also is that for many people, you know, I I like uh, this term closeness disease. Closeness um, is really difficult. We, we think of it as intimacy or something, but everybody wants it, but they don't understand what it takes to get close to somebody. And affairs are safer. There's less at risk, you know, or not even just affairs. Sleeping with somebody who's a stranger or, or a hookup is, is there's less vulnerability. There's less judgment. Um, it's, it's much riskier oftentimes to be intimate with somebody who knows you and loves you and who who we love sure but isn't that a little short-sighted too i mean when you're saying that that the that there's less risk um mm -hmm. i mean it's really a short-term risk uh it's mm -hmm. uh it's sort of like well if that's what you want why don't you just have a series of short-term relationships because Part of what you're saying, I talk about as as well with clients, and I and I think about um, and I've read about, but it's like that sort of like you were saying with the quote from the women, you were looking for to see ourselves anew through somebody's eyes, you know, who doesn't really know you, who isn't pissed off at you because you didn't do something you said you were going to do, or because you left your towel on the floor of the bathroom for the upteenth time, you know, the in the first three months of any relationship, everything that anybody does is just uh, a miracle. I, I always go back to the movie The Four Seasons, and there's a line in there where one of the couples is talking about the new couple in love, saying, like, my God, one of them farts, the other one thinks it's Guy Lombardo. Oh. And and it's just <laughs> like that everything at the beginning is just so magical and new, and they can do no wrong because you don't really, you're not in the day-to-day -day grit with that person. And so there is something magical and new about it. And they're like, wow, I like how that person sees me. 
you know, mm-hmm. that, and you're right mm-hmm. in terms of the closeness deficiency there that they don't, because they don't know you, they, you know, and, um, oh. and that doesn't mean that you're not still lovable when you're known. I think that's the fear, right? The fear is that we won't, that we'll be harder or more difficult to love when we are truly known. Well, we're lovable, but we, we don't feel as sexy sometimes. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Esther Perel talks about in her great book, Meeting in Captivity, the factors that fuel passion. And they're the exact opposite of what fuels intimacy. So, you know, a lot of times the reason why the affair is, is so great is because it includes those elements, excitement, danger, spontaneity, risk, tension. Absolutely. You know, that, that can be developed in a long-term marriage, but it needs to be, it needs to, it takes a little bit of effort. It doesn't just happen. And this is what I tell couples all the time. They go, oh, why can't we, why can't we just have sex spontaneously like we used to when we were dating? And I say, well, you didn't really have it spontaneously when you were dating. You both spent an hour getting ready for that date before you even met yeah. each other. <laughs> Very true. You know? Yeah, I thought it was interesting watching um, the Stormy Daniels interview. um, And apparently, I guess, allegedly, the other woman, too, the Playboy model, um, they both were talking about, uh, yeah, uh uh-huh, and saying how they both, you know, he went, he kind of had the same game, took him to the same place, said the same things. But one of the things he said to both of them was, you know, you're really special and you're you're strong, uh, just like my daughter. When, you know, my association was, okay, so, you know, a father to a daughter is very powerful. You know, he's got all this power and little girls look up to their dads and, um, you know, dads can fix everything and take care of everything and make you feel really safe. So I thought it was really interesting that that's something that came out because a, uh, you know, I think often, as you know, we talked about this a little bit. As men age, uh, sometimes it can just feel whether it's the job or um, impotence or you know even emotional instability. You know, they feel very powerless. So, uh, how often have I don't know if you all have met men, but um, men that you know it wasn't even about the sex. It was you know they they couldn't get aroused or uh, it, you know they just wanted someone to just admire them and you know woo woo them and and be in awe of them, kind of like what Trump was saying to these women. You know, mm-hmm. no, that's true. I I um, have a friend who will remain anonymous, who used to do um, escort work in New York City years ago. And the majority of her clients were Wall Street uh, gentlemen. And usually it didn't involve sex, Wendy. A lot of times they would hire her and just want to talk all evening or um, be held. So, So it was, and a lot of them were married, you know, and uh, so it, it was that idea. Sometimes it's not about sex. You know, it's a, it's, it could be about the chase. Um, that's why when we talk about infidelity, that it's not just sexual um, infidelity. There's also emotional and intellectual infidelity. So some people may not ever physically cheat with another person. But what if they have a profile open on a, on a sex app and their partner doesn't know about it? 
and they're they're um, talking, chatting with people um, on that sex app just to feel good about themselves, mm -hmm. you know. So a lot of people will question, okay, is that cheating? You know, we've heard this ever since the internet came on. Is it cheating to, to talk to somebody um, online? Mm -hmm. You know, but it can make you feel good, right? Sure. Yeah. I, I also think that um, building on that, another kind of, uh, another area that can be, people can, could define as infidelity is what I, I heard described as an object affair, which I, I think of as also like like workaholic, you know, like somebody who is almost having an affair with a thing that they're doing, right? Or a thing that they're really into. So, you know, you're getting, you're so preoccupied with something else that is taking you out of the relationship, sort of like you're, you're talking about, Tony, that somebody's having a non-sexual relationship with somebody online and by non-sexual i mean in terms of the physical a non-physical uh relationship right. but it's sort of i mean we could even say many people are having relationships with their phones a more intimate mm -hmm. relationships with their phones we certainly spend more time with our phones yeah. than they are with their partners um mm -hmm. and and i thought that that was kind of an interesting thing too because because I, I hadn't really thought of that, you know, but, but people can feel very abandoned by their partner who is totally preoccupied with something outside the relationship that's not necessarily another person or relationship. I mean, avoidance, you know, can look many ways. So, you know, when I work with my couples, people do things different ways. So some people disclose everything from a flirty look to, you know, a nasty thought about someone or a sexy thought um, to an affair or, you know, maybe one, one or two other times. And then there are other people who say, even if we did, we're not going to talk about it because it doesn't matter in the here and now, you know? So, and I love that book, The Power of Now, because yes, the, what I call the war stories, I think are very important to process, but you know, I think, and Tony, I'm curious what you feel and think, um, you know, they, they don't have the tools and they just don't have the tools. So we often kind of go back to the moral compass a little bit about, um, you know, uh, honesty and, um, you know, just a little bit about, uh, yeah, their moral compass, but how they want their relationship to look, you know, and, and take take control of understanding, like you said, that they can heal through infidelity. Um, but they need just tools, life tools to, is it okay to talk about it? Is it taboo? How much do you ask about it? How do you maneuver a couple through that? Um, is it a lot of processing the affairs or is it more tools or? Well, it's hard work, but it's, I think it's, it's important work because I hate to see good, good marriages and good relationships end simply because of an affair or infidelity. So to answer your question, I mean, the first thing I want to do is find out um, if the affair is still going on. If it is, and um, it's important then that the other partner knows that it is so that they can make a decision accordingly. Um, but if it isn't, Usually I don't talk about the affair very much. So I, I have kind of a controversial policy in that 
if a couple comes to me and if I meet with them individually and I find out from one that, that they had infidelities in the past, I, I won't bring that up in the session because that will take over the work. And usually I see that as um, not the problem. I see that as the effect of the problem. But like I said, if, they if they're in an ongoing affair, I'll say, OK, your partner needs to know. I encourage you to tell them. So what I do with these couples, the first thing is you have to you have to attend to the person who's been betrayed. Otherwise, you'll never be able to do the work. And and that's challenging for the person who betrayed because they often feel like a victim themselves. And, you know, I'll hear all the time, like, you know, how long is she going to hold me over the fire for this? And I'll say, well, it's because she doesn't feel that you understand what happened to her or vice versa. I'll just use her because it's more common. Uh, so the, the first work I have to do is they want to apologize. They go, I apologize a million times. They said, it's too early to apologize. You don't know what you're apologizing for. <laughs> Interesting. So the way that they find that out is often I'll say to the person who, who cheated, what do you think she went through? And I'll press it. And it'll be very difficult for them to do. And they won't want to do it. And they'll want to leave the room. But when the betrayed person gets that the cheater is feeling a portion of the pain that they felt, that's when they tend to be ready to forgive or move past it. Until that, they're going to hang on to it. And, and that's kind of the case with any major infraction is we won't accept an apology unless we get the, the feeling that the person knows what pain we were in. So that's the first work I have to do, because if I if if that's if that doesn't happen, there's no way that I'm going to be able to them. So I'm hearing that you don't think that it's necessary, that's always necessary for infidelities to be disclosed. I don't. Unless they're I don't, ongoing. Because they hold, they hold, well, it depends, you know, it's a case by case basis, but they, uh, affairs hold so much meaning that, that that can overtake, come in to, if a couple comes in and they, they, they want to connect and they want to have a better sexual relationship, uh, uh, you know, some infidelity that they had five years ago is just going to get in the way of that work. You know, um, if they're still cheating, you know, that's something to talk about. But if it's if it's something that was the effect of disconnection, I'll go, OK, well, are you still going to do that? No. OK, well, let's let's talk about how you two can connect, you know, because it holds so much meaning. It's a lot different than if you say, oh, yeah, I um, I went on a secret trip with my best friend and didn't tell you. They'll go, oh, well, OK, that doesn't bother me. But, you know, I don't think it needs to be known, Jenny. I um not if it's in the past and uh and and the real issue is that they they don't know how to talk to each other that's the real issue wouldn't you say though some people uh who have had indiscretions carry that weight around and then i mean how do you either of you uh, wendy or, or tony can answer this i mean if somebody's sitting across from you and they are kind of burdened with this feeling of should I tell, should I not tell, even if it were five years ago, how do you address that with somebody, you know, in a, in an individual session? 
debating whether or not they should reveal to their partner. I guess I'll go first. I'll just say briefly that, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody not to. Um, but what I'm more interested in is is what they're feeling underneath the desire to tell them. So, for instance, a lot of times I'll say, well, when you think about wanting to tell them what, what goes on in you, and they might go, oh, I feel horrible guilt. And I'll say, okay, guilt about what? Oh, that I'm, I'm a bad person and that I don't deserve love, you know, for example. And I'll say, okay, are you able to talk to your partner about that? No, I can't because all she does is criticize me. And when she criticizes what, what happens then, then it just confirms that I don't deserve her love. And so that's what's going on. You know, so a lot of times if, if they say, I'll say, okay, to what purpose? Okay, but a lot of times I'm more interested in the underlying issue. Yeah, I, I think also watch, you know, I'm curious about what they, <clears throat> excuse me, what they saw growing up, what was role modeled for them, you know, about secrets and lies and um, boundaries. And a lot of times men, it happens to be, well, women will too, but more men, what I've seen is they'll have these memories, these images of a father who has been unfaithful and they didn't have faith within themselves. And so it's kind of like unconscious way of, you know, staying connected, you know, kind of saying, well, it could go both ways. It could be, I knew I would do it too. And then we could open up the door to a lot of father son work, unresolved issues of, you know, what was that like if they never talked to their father about it, but they saw all this, you know, infidelity or how he, how the father treated the mother, you know, early childhood unresolved issues. But it could go the opposite way. Often I'll see that where because they've had someone be unfaithful, a parent growing up, that they, like you said, make a conscious effort and a decision um, to not be that way. But they'll talk about it. And they will talk about it even with their partner. You know, um, there's someone attractive. I would never do it, but I just need to tell you about it. You know, there's couples do really amazing things. And, and that doesn't mean that that's better or worse. It's just, you know, they kind of wanted to be full transparency, you know, um, because the father wasn't or the mother wasn't. Mm hmm. So what are some or are there any kind of personality traits of somebody who might be more likely? I mean, obviously, from what we've been talking about, there is an understanding that it can anybody. It's possible for anybody. And I always say that, too. I mean, being in a monogamous marriage, I, you know, I don't want to ever take it for granted um, that's a major thing, you know, like, oh, he'd never do that. I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 ha I have no indication, but I can fully admit I am not inside his head. I can never truly know what he may or may not do, but I do have to make a choice myself to uh, trust and take that leap of faith. And I understand the evolutionary biological argument. I have made it myself many times, but at the same time, the counter argument to that is, you know, what's also unnatural, wearing clothes, driving cars, yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, buying your food in a grocery market. Every day we make choices that are uh, against our evolutionary and biological instincts. You know, that 
that can start to leak some some water for me uh, at a certain point. Um, so I'm I'm just wondering if you guys have any thoughts on what people might look out for. I mean, if somebody's cheated in the past, does that mean they'll cheat in the future? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'll just say, you know, it's interesting. Um, I agree with you about, like, there's really nothing natural about the way we live today. <laughs> you know? um, to our biology and our evolution. Uh, so I, I, never, I never offer that up as a justification. I simply offer it up as, as an awareness of what's, what you're working against. Absolutely, people can choose to, um, you know, ignore those biological urges and put on clothes or get in a car or, <clears throat> you know, um, be monogamous. But Esther Perel will talk about you have to at least acknowledge the, third, the possibility of the third person. Um, the ones that, that seem to, to be able to avoid doing that are, are those who, who may be um, uh, aligned with such a rigid belief system that they just literally block it out of their heads. Um, you know, I mean, my my brother's family is Mormon, and and so they don't even think about it because it's he's so you know he's so um, committed to that 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 I think he's just suppressed it um, any desire and and that works for him. For those of us who who aren't so committed to an outside belief system, it means conscious choices. And you're right. Um, and, and acknowledging that. What I will say as far as, you know, the, the usual things to look for that are signs of trouble is um, maybe a decrease in sexual um, activity. Red flag. In frequency. Red flag. Performance issues. Red flag. Uh, I would say if things have changed, such as, you know, the, obviously somebody's coming home later, they're, they're taking more business trips. Red flag. Nowadays, it seems as though digital evidence is giving everybody away because so many people's um, devices are, are linked, you know, so they used to say, oh, they left it out, you know, they left their email open because they wanted to be discovered. Well, now it's so easy to be discovered, even if you don't want to be discovered. But yeah, anytime you, you feel a change, I mean, there can be gradual changes over the course of a relationship, but if you notice a, a definite shift. It can be a signal that something's going on, not just an affair. Yeah, I I think red flag issue, it is important. I think it's important to, I think because I came from such trauma and watching parents, uh, they connected, but in a, you know, not healthy way. I'm so hypersensitive in my own relationship about, you know, communicating and taking the temperature Um and so I had to kind of learn to to relax in that, uh, so it's not so all or nothing. But for some couples, you know, they really it's important good communication and um, to to check in from time to time, to kind of have kind of like a meeting. You know, how do you think we're doing? And kind of the pie chart of all the areas. You know, sometimes we just need to go to kind of basic communication 101 again. Just check in. How are we doing on finances? How are we doing on, you know, spiritual religious stuff? Or, you know, is there anything that, you know, you you want to work on or you think we're kind of doing well? Open communication the best that you can. Um, 
There's also just the basic, you know, good old fashioned change changing, you know, going to the gym, wearing cologne. Often women want to get the um, breast augmentations or uh, plastic surgery, uh, stage of life, uh, physiological changes. You know, hanging out is kind of like teenagers when they hang out with the wrong, you know, bad group uh, and you want to know who your friends are. So, you know, he starts hanging out at a bar more like you you said tony or um she's hanging out more with her friends and uh, i think couples are at risk definitely when they have the empty nest syndrome Um, couples often have to say you know what what now they're kind of restructuring their identity and their relationship and it can be a wonderful opportunity to kind of work on a game plan um you know instead of shy away or avoid but many many couples avoid because they just they're scared to talk about it or they didn't grow up with families that talked about it or you know they don't even know how to talk about it so even if you have kids around and then you know they go to you know i'm so on it with my stepson he's going to college in two years that i'm already going honey what other activities are we going to be doing you know what's going to be our thing yeah, we go to the gym. We love food. We love music. Um, and he's like, "Really? Do we don't have to talk about it?" But you know, when we talk about college stuff, that you know, the school's already kind of bombarding bombarding them with college information. I see a little tear in my husband's eye. Yeah, and I just, I, I, I think togetherness, the closeness, um, like you said too, is so important. You know, educating. If someone has a feeling, even just a feeling of Oh, okay. You know, it's okay to say, God, that person is really attractive. And it's okay to go home and fantasize and, you know, be with your partner. And and it's okay to even think about what would that be like. But if if you really find yourself with temptation, you want to talk to someone about it, whether it's a friend, a therapist, a life coach, a priest, a rabbi, (laughs) you want to be able to just talk it out and get it out. That's part one, but part two is then what's the game plan? And and the game plan in a in a committed relationship really it's important to check in with that person. Um, and I love what Tony said. It's underneath. It's the core issue. So not all the time do you have to address you know the the details of the war story. And I love that you don't even kind of go there because it's so much about other things. You know. Um, yeah, I someone had cheated on me when I was um, in my in my thirties, and and it was excuse me, I'm getting choked up just talking about that. <laughs> um, not really, it was the best thing ever. Oh my god, thank you. You know who you are. Um, so it so you know it was just happened to be that it was the same time he started cheating on me it was the same time that he found out his father had been unfaithful to his mother his whole life. And he just was so devastated, didn't have words. And then it just kind of ended, you know, we're unconsciously, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that this huge trauma had occurred in his life and that he didn't know what to do with it. So he felt very powerless. And I was, you know, absorbed with school and my life and very available for him. But, you know, he didn't want to inconvenience me. And he didn't want to be a burden. So he just kept everything inside, as a lot of men do. And 
And then, you know, whatever happened, happened. And we did work through it, actually. That's not why we didn't succeed. Um, it was some other reasons, but it took me to another level as the person who was cheated on to really see his core issues. And that was a blessing for me. Um, so the the layers, is, uh, on, I, my situation was this the deep enmeshment he held with his mom that I kind of didn't want to look at or, you know, and now it all makes sense. So um, just layers and layers of infidelity. And um, but there there are red flag issues if we pay attention. Would you say that, Tony? Yes, I, I would. I mean, I agree with you. Um, trauma, of course, gets its nasty fingers in all areas of our lives. Um, and certainly insecure or avoidant attachment um, will have factors on how comfortable we feel being close to a partner with sexual intimacy. I think that as, if somebody has cheated regularly in the past, it's not it's not set in stone that they're going to cheat forever. I think that it depends that you know our our brains are very plastic and things can be worked through. Um, but you know, I've also heard that that um, women in particular always know. You know, women have a certain <laughs> intuition. And they know even if they don't know. Yes. Uh, you know, but what's what's funny about the betrayal is I look at, at cheating, I define it as anything that goes against the the stated agreements in the relationship. And so many so many relationships don't have stated agreements. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, I think is is okay for a few years, but then <laughs> but what I want to say to that is a lot of couples will come in and and the one who's betrayed will say, well, I was going through their phone the other night and I found texts to this other woman and I'll say, so it sounds like betrayal is a problem for both of them. You know, I may not say that immediately. I have to attend to the But that's where I'll look at and I'll go, betrayal is affecting both of us, not just the one who actually went out. And if I, if I can position the two of them against the problem that's pulling them apart, then that's the best chance they have to get out of this work with a better relationship than they came into it. And that's where a lot of this research has shown that sometimes three to five years down the line, the couples who do the work will say, that wasn't a pleasant experience, but boy, is our marriage better than ever because we were really not attending to something, and now we are. So it's not the only way to improve your marriage, I want to say, but but it's what you make of it that determines what kind of relationship you have after. Absolutely. I, th- I think one of the things that you just said that, um, I mean, it's been said a couple of different ways. Uh, I think, Wendy, you were kind of saying this, too, is that the, obviously the communication element is is primary. It's huge. But we don't have these difficult conversations before something happens. The preventative conversation has to happen. And I think that especially now that we're living in a day and age where uh, traditional marriage is not is no longer the just accepted norm, like, well, of course, that's what we're all going to do. We're all working towards and going to do that that partnerships can look a lot of different ways that they can just be legal on paper or, you know, people keep things separate or, 
um, you know, but still have a child together and be legally obligated to the child, but not to one another, that a lot of these things are going unstated. Uh, and, and somebody referred to it as a cheating threshold once um, that I heard, but I also think of it as like fidelity boundaries. And so what is it that each couple individually thinks of is cheating. If your wife thinks watching porn is cheating, then you have to address that or negotiate that. Uh, mm -hmm. If you really are, you know, interested in porn or masturbating, you know, they, they might find that as being some sort of a betrayal or, um, and of course, like you're both saying, that's something, an underlying issue too, that you can work with the individual about well, what does that mean? Does that mean you feel like you're not individually satisfying your partner that they have to do it themselves or, you know, and explore those attitudes. But, um, you know, other people might be like, no, go for it. I mean, I'm totally like that at certain times. I'm like, well, baby, just, just go and do your thing, you know, uh, cause I got, I gotta go do this right now. And, and I want, you know, I want to be there with you, but I gotta, I got to attend other matters. So, um, I, you know, I think it really, some people might think fantasizing is, which is uh, unfortunate because almost everybody fantasizes. Statistics show that most people uh, talk about it, women as men, much as men. Um, but it's also, what about having a cyber affair with somebody that you never meet in person? Is that, is that overstepping? Um, and then there's those people, too, that you hear these stories and or you, you deal with the couple in front of you who you find out they've got entire secondary relationships and families somewhere, which just seems yeah. exhausting to me. But uh, and, you know, and expensive and side note, <laughs> like a little impressive, like how, <laughs> how the hell do you manage that? Uh, so well, you know, I mean, broad the interesting thing is, you know, Esther Perel, I saw her just the other weekend and she said. We we now have needs of our partners of one person that used to be taken care of by a village. And and it's very true. There's a wonderful book called Sex at Dawn. You may have heard of that. It talks about that. And so, you know, the the partners, there are there is certainly a trend for polyamory and non-monogamy of various sorts that's consensual. And you know what? It can work really well. But you know why it can work really well? It's because those relationships usually end up talking way more than monogamous diet because they have to because things are changing all the time. It doesn't mean that issues don't come up, but they talk about them. I love Wendy's suggestion, which is you don't want to wait till a crisis comes up. I love the idea of like weekly meetings. and They can look however you want. But in those meetings, you can kind of say, hey, you know, how, how did things go? Um, are you holding any resentments about me? Something that I did this week? You know, how is our sex? You know, yes, um, how do yeah. you feel about yourself? Is anything going on with you? Um, any new fantasies coming up? You know, and if you have a regular non-crisis setting for these type of discussions, it's certainly going to be easier to discuss them when a crisis comes up. I also want to add on to that, that besides finding a neutral time to have that meeting, which I think is essential for any long-term relationship to survive, whether it is weekly or bi-monthly or whatever, you know, the regularly set meeting, it's always helpful, um, that 
postcoital is not also the time to have that discussion because somebody's very <laughs> vulnerable, uh, you know, no. to say so. You know, like everybody's just had their big orgasm and they're lying in the afterglow. <clears throat> so how how are you feeling about our relationship? You know, well, in that moment, yeah. uh, uh -huh. you may not be the best. Uh, the best time you're going to get the best information, the clearest. No, but maybe the following morning. Yes. Yeah. Morning. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And certainly not during. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just want to check in with Tony about one thing that you said, and I just want to clarify for our listeners is, so you said maybe uh, one indication could be lack of sex or performance. Do you ever find um, that sometimes couples are flowing with sex and actually um, sometimes it can enhance their own sexual life affairs? That's not what I see most often, Wendy, um, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you know, there... The literature does say that, you know, the more sex you have, the better off for your sex drive. You know? So it could be that a couple that's having sex five times a week, you know, it, their sex drives are really working and it's showing up outside. But again, I, I would I wouldn't necessarily pin that on the fact that they're having a lot of sex. I would pin that on whether they're tending to the underlying connection. Um, the things that are, are um, do they feel safe with each other to be able to talk about everything they want to do sexually? Um, do they feel judged by the other? Do they feel excited by themselves? You know, so sure, it could be a factor. I don't think it would be the only factor, but yeah, you can have that show up. Absolutely. There's, there's people who are, I don't know when they find the time. But, <laughs> yeah. but you also have to be, um, or we have to be cognizant uh, and thoughtful about like the more compulsive and impulsive addictive personalities. I mean, if your partner is somebody who uh, tends to be escapist under stress, um, then they may be more vulnerable. Or if you are, you may be more vulnerable um, to to going out on your relationship and so therefore you need to safeguard against it and one of the primary things that everybody uh in the scenario needs to be thinking about is uh, just sexual health as well because a lot of times people get involved in things and it just happens in a moment and you're not necessarily expecting it and no protection is being used and then in your primary relationship often people aren't using protection in their primary relationship um and so it can a lot of people find out about their partner being unfaithful because they are suddenly having symptoms of something that they've never experienced before and they're like you know what toilet seat did i get this off of uh and and then it it, it all comes out so um you know i think that that's obviously if somebody's got an addiction problem should be thoughtful about that if your partner is prone. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, and that's why if somebody's having, uh, you know, currently acting out when they start therapy with me, that's why I will not only encourage them to tell the other, because the other needs to know health risk. You're absolutely right. 
there's a lot of stuff out there. What about trust and technology? What have you seen? Um, you know, have you seen couples say, if you love me, you'll show me your phone? Or how do you deal yourself with your practice technology? Do you integrate it? Do you not? Do you? How do you deal with that? That I don't know if you see that, but I see that a lot. He won't let me in his phone. She won't, you know, there's nothing to hide. I just not showing. It's a big well, thing. Yeah, it, it's a huge, huge thing. You're right, Wendy. Um, what I've what I've noticed is that that that's that's valid, but it's a temporary fix that most of the people who who then get access to the phone find that it makes them feel better for a minute, but it doesn't necessarily build trust. Um, so again, I will deal with the couple's issue, um, and I will say to the person who betrayed them, and I suggest that you show her your phone every night when you come home, but I won't rely on that alone as, as I'll, I'll use that as part of, uh, cause basically the person who betrayed it's their, their role to rebuild the trust, but the person who was betrayed their role is to be willing to accept the invitation to rebuild the trust. Does and what if they don't? What if he says no? If if either of them says no, then um, then that's well, it's important information for them both to know in order to make decisions about the future of the relationship. And so sometimes in couples therapy, I'll be really clear um, that the therapy may result in two people separating. But if it does, mm -hmm. they won't be separating by mistake, which is what usually happens. They'll be separating because for two or three months, we've been trying to do this work together and one person refuses to let go of being defensive or the other person refuses all invitations from the other for intimacy or to build trust. And if that happens time after time again, and the, the you know, they, they don't want to do anything about it. I'll say, okay, how, how much longer do you want to wait? You know, but, but sometimes that happens and I, I work my best not to judge the couple because everybody gets to decide for themselves. I worked with a couple for a year and a half and, um, they kept coming in and I was exhausted by these sessions because they, they refused to give up on their defensiveness. Um, and I remember I, I kind of fired them at one point, not with those so many words, but I said, stop wasting your money. You've been together for 22 years. It's been going okay. It seems like you're coming in here to have a relationship you say you want, but do you really want it? You know, you don't have to reach this new level of connection. You've been doing fine. What I suggest is perhaps you, you reach a level of acceptance that what you're doing is fine. Because if not, then you're going to be miserable, but you're not showing any, any willingness to do the work to change it. And I, it would be unethical for me to continue seeing you without commenting on that. You know, so not everybody's required to do this work. You know, but, but we need to know and our partners need to know are you willing to do the work with me or are you going to make me suffer over this for another 10, 20 years? Yeah. So sometimes the agenda is just to punish 
the other mm -hmm. person and not invested in the healing. Yeah. Um, and so it also sounds like you're talking about couples come to you to also get validation or reassurance that I like that you said, it, you know, that you're doing okay. Um, because sometimes they have such unrealistic expectations. And I always talk about the audience, meaning friends and family, extended family, um, the media, you know, TV, movies. Sometimes people want movie love. And or sometimes their friends, you know, get in their brain, in their ear and start saying, well, I don't, you know, I, I you know, you should you guys should be this way or you should be that way or couples compare themselves. Well, Johnny and Susie are having a lot of sex. We should be having a lot of sex. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of anxiety in shoulds, you know, the, the unrealistic expectations. Yes, and the shoulds, Wendy, now are out there for everyone to see. We can easily compare our relationship to a thousand other relationships based upon what we're looking at. You know, we all know that the norm is not what's right. It's the most common. So people come in and say, well, you know, we should be having more sex each week. And I go, well, who says? And what yeah. would that look yeah. like? You know, well, we're only having it three times a week. That's not enough. And I said, I'll say again, who says? They said, it's not enough for you or it's not enough for, for what you've heard or, you know. Um, yeah, I think what you just said is really important. I think a lot of times people get too caught up in this idea of normal versus abnormal. And, and it's really more looking at what's common versus less common and that there's not a judgment on it or a um, that that measure of normalcy as we all know in the work that we do you know normal is relative and there is no real such thing it uh, it changes generationally you know uh, it changes all the time socially where where you're living what's normal uh, quote unquote normal uh, and so to try to get people off of that track, I think is, is really important. And I'm, I'm glad that, that you said that, but I, I wanted to talk about what you guys are both touching on and the family and the audience, the people around you. If you are having uh, these issues of infidelity in your relationship, should you tell your children? Should you let them in on the problem? Uh, some people do some without thinking, uh, but should you, quote unquote, should you? Uh, would What are your thoughts on that? And also, like, talking to other people in your orbit uh, to let them know what's going on with you. I mean, where, what are your thoughts on that? So, so often kids know or at least teens will know and they'll they'll talk to me about just a fleeting comment or an argument that they overheard so often they know and so that's a tricky thing because you know it's important to have a lot of privacy but you know when people are in pain how often do we go we're going to talk about something that makes us really crazy and sad right now you know let's, let's have some privacy and set really firm boundaries so our kids don't you know, hear all that. But yeah, it definitely, it's about boundaries. And what I say to my couples is, you know, think of it like a steel fortress around your relationship right now. 
if you want to heal in this way, boundaries are really important um, because so often your couples will come in and they'll work really hard and, and, and go on the healing path. And then all of a sudden their girlfriends get back and spin that up again and then get her ready to go back in and hash up some stuff that was just beautifully healed. So, you know, and it's going to happen. You're going to bump into people, even if you're not, you know, inviting those discussions, but, you know, have a strong team and good boundaries and also be prepared what to say, uh, you know, because often friends will also have their family members vicarious trauma, right? They're also really heartbroken or overwhelmed or shocked or angry. So you want to give couples some coping skills, you know, some strategies or just a nice statement that they can say, like, thank you so much for caring. We're doing fine. Thank you. Or, you know, we don't talk about the past, but we're doing good. You know, people just want to know that they're on a healing path, but there are other people who want to get all the juicy stories and are invested and just maybe not invested, but can't even think that there is a possibility that couples can heal from such heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting when when you talk about teens, teens seem to know a lot of what's going on. Um, and, and that's why, uh, I'll tell parents, you know, cause often parents will always say, well, she wants to do it this way and I want to do it this way. And what's right. And I'll say, Honestly, uh, how how you discipline a child matters less than the relationship that you're modeling. Kids are paying more attention to what you're doing with each other than what you're doing. And and that applies in this case too. That I it depends on the age of the kid. You know, I wouldn't tell a five year old or six year old because they won't understand it. They might feel it might put them into um, some sort of a feeling of being abandoned. Uh, it might be incredibly scary. Maybe uh, adult kids, teens, I don't think it's necessary unless uh, unless it's done as a way to model care. So if you're doing it to say, hey, this is what mom and I have gone through. And sometimes, you know, even great marriages have bumps, but we love each other. We're going to therapy for it want you to know telling you because uh want you to feel like we're still the same parents you know again that that teen is going to grow up with a kind of a good model for being in a relationship and maybe be less devastated if it happens to him or her you know as far as friends depends people have a lot of judgments about this stuff which is crazy because it happens it's happening all the time but sometimes it could be a good conversation with friends without sharing all the dirty details. If you say, oh, you know, my partner and I had some issues recently where um, we struggled to trust. Anybody else at the table? No. And then you can have a good discussion where you can talk about the themes without sharing the dirty details. You can be embarrassed because there is judgment about this. Couples come in with infidelity with a lot of shame. And that's the first thing that I try to deconstruct in the room. I try to normalize it. So you're, even though we're supposedly modern hip here in Los Angeles, we still have a lot of ideas about it, as we can see. 
the media. And what I try to do is normalize it because um, so, shame is one of those things that's going to get in the way of the work. It's hard to look at yourself deeply if it feels really bad to do so. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I'm noticing is <clears throat> couples are working very hard to stay together, but a th it's kind of like a trend that's happening now is kind of like conscious uncoupling, but they're not uncoupling. We've named it. Well, they have taught me that it's recoupling, conscious recoupling, which is so beautiful, where one partner moves out of the home and just physically needs a break. Uh, but they are committed and they are working very hard and there's a lot of love and they kind of get back to dating. And um and it's amazing that, again, the audience, their friends, their extended family, there's so much judgment. You can't live in two homes, and how could you do that? And um, that's never going to work. And it seems like some people are even very envious and that they don't have, they can't even imagine coming to their partner and going, you know, I feel like getting a place of my own. You know, so, but uh, it, but it's happening, and it's a really beautiful thing that couples are kind of taking the power back and going. You know, it doesn't have to look like one house where every time I see you, I want to slap you. You know, it could be they go to the oh, yeah. gym, they work, they yeah. have a nice dinner date, and there's go to a great article uh, in the L.A. Times just this morning, an opinion piece where a guy writes about how he and his wife sleep in separate bedrooms. And it's been the best thing for their marriage because he works out of home. So they're bumping elbows all day. And it's the only time that they actually be, get to be apart from each other and they get to miss each other. He says they have the most active sex life of any couple that they've known. They've been together for nine years. And yet it's controversial with their friends. But I thought you're, that's what you're talking about. You know, you say that and people go, I don't understand it. Well, nobody wants to be around anybody for or, you know, maybe Joan Didion, you know, she didn't mind being with her husband 24-7. But that's not most of us, honestly. Yeah. You know, yeah. what what you're talking about with, re with recoupling, I love it. There's another term I use called controlled separation. Oh, yeah. And and that's taken from a book by Lee Raphael, where you give them some space. They get to rediscover who they are and really think, is this relationship still important to me? And sometimes they come back and reboot it, or sometimes they create a new version of it, you know. But listen, uh, speaking of what's natural, it's not really natural for us to be in one form of relationship for 50 years. What is it that they say that the average long marriage usually is at least seven or eight marriages during the course of the, the marriage within mm -hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and, and people are now getting married later, so there's there's also the possibility that a lot of these underlying issues that we're talking about can be worked out in the course of, I feel like mine, you know, not that I don't still have some, but I feel like I worked out a lot of things that I needed to about myself and myself in relationships before I met my husband and because I got married much later and because I had an intrinsic sense of this isn't quite right. Uh, when I was younger in situations with partners, I could have 
gotten married to um, people who cheated on me and people that I was accused of cheating on, uh, which I didn't. But, uh, you know, there's also something when somebody is it's interesting to be on the have it on the other foot where you're like, wow, you know, I'm getting it. So I'm getting accused of it all the time. I'm, I should I should probably check it out, uh, you know, because I'm already suffering the consequence. Not that that makes it okay. Uh, But, you know, I I went through so many of those scenarios that, you know, now I'm older and mellower and sown those wild oats. And um, but but infidelity doesn't necessarily have to be just solely in a marriage. But I'm also thinking of the line in I think it's when Harry met Sally, where he's talking about getting being divorced. And and she said, you know, but we could have dinner sometime and he, you know, something time and he's like you know I don't want to date my wife I got married so I didn't have to date anymore that's that's kind of what I'm thinking that was kind of coming up not like as something I was thinking myself because I do think even if you're married you need to date your spouse um, or your partner uh, but that a lot of people are sort of like I want to get married and just take all that crap off the table and I think maybe that's part of the problem I, I don't know well, take the crap off the table then and leave the rest. You know, I mean, I think of dating as fun. You know, in my relationship, I said the other day, let's go out on a date. I want to dress nice and go to a restaurant and be in public. And that wasn't something like, oh, God, you know, it's because we stay at home a lot. And yeah. that's fine, too. But I like going out and, and dressing nice and making it special. So why wouldn't you want to date your wife? And if 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 there's something that you don't want to do, that's attached to dating around that, then do what you do want to do. You know, it's, it's a different way to see each other. Um, and it can be really, it can be really helpful. Don't do it because you're supposed to do it because you want to, you don't have to call it a date. You know, you don't have to call the weekly meeting a meeting. You can call it whatever you want it. A check in, figure out the term that works for you. Yes. And if you want to have sex, it's okay to plan it. And, you know, it's so often how, how often do we have couples that want to have sex, but don't initiate it or don't state it or don't let the other person know tonight's a good night. You know, so often we hear they're tired or get to bed earlier or he watches TV while I'm in bed earlier so we talk about negotiations maybe she could stay up a little later maybe he can tape the baseball game um you know if if two people truly want to connect uh whether it's just cuddling and and breathing together and meditating or you know if they want to make love or have sex or whatever um you got to talk about it it's it's so important it was reminding me of the the daniel is it daniel schnark um the passionate marriage where yeah. the, the 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 cornerstone and i i know i've referenced this before uh, of uh, of a sexual relationship uh is whoever wants it the least is the person who's in control of how much the couple is going to have sex so if you are True maybe you're not the instigator or not comfortable being that, but you're the, also the person who wants it the least. And that is you have a certain amount of power. Um, maybe that's the wrong word to use, but in that situation. And um, because the other person may at a certain point feel like, well, I'm not going to keep pushing them because 
I don't like the continued rejection, so I'm going to leave it in their court. And if you are not um, an initiator, you're going to have to step up at some point or it's going to die on the vine. So there's definitely what you were saying, Wendy, the, the negotiating and the communicating has to be present. And, you know, I, my other thing that I always say is, you know, um, oh, a rule, a rule sometimes broken is better than no rule at all. So, like, in my relationship, it, it has been for a long time, and every other night is sort of the rule. But, it, you know, it changes all the time based on schedule and sickness. And, like, you know, there's, there's some conditions around that, too. Like, past 1030... You know, all bets are off because I'm probably going to be, you know, if he doesn't come home till 1030, I'm going to be getting ready for bed and want to crash. And so it's going to start, we got to start renegotiating that. But to ha kind of have a template of what is workable within the confines of the relationship or confines, parameters is a better <laughs> word than confines. <laughs> well, I want to address a couple of things that you said just just clarify also, I mean, sex does not always mean penetration and orgasm. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I mean, so a lot of people have that idea, especially men, you know, they want to see what's the saying. They want to take the train all the way into the station every time. Women are usually different. I'm speaking in generalities here, but, you know, uh, it's very much sex to lay together naked with maybe some arousal. Um and it can be non-genital or genital, and that that's that's sexual, you know. So it can be, and listen, it doesn't have to take two hours. You can do a lot in fifteen minutes. <laughs> you know, they say the average sex act lasts seven times, so you can have sex twice in fifteen minutes. You know, and everybody can find fifteen minutes. But what I also want to say is a lot of it depends. A lot of people who are the ones that want sex less get labeled um, as having a lower sex drive, and I don't find that to be true. That it's how you initiate. You know, I, I heard a, a woman in, in class one time, she was a sex educator, and she said, I'm probably going to misquote her, um, so I hope she's not listening. But she said, women hate sex unless they're having it. It was something to that extent. And what she meant was, with, with men, the trajectory starts with usually drive and then arousal. And then plateau and orgasm and recovery. Uh, so men will get a sex drive, and and that's not necessarily about having sex. It's just about being, you know, turned on. And then arousal is about somebody. Women generally, on the other hand, need to be aroused first. So I had a couple where the husband goes, she got mad at me because the other day I came up behind her and cut her breasts while she was doing the dishes. And she elbowed me. And I and I said to the woman, I bet you it felt almost as though you were being violated. And she says, yes, it did. And for him to understand it, I had to say she was not aroused. Well, it should it should mean a lot to her that I found her attractive. I said, it probably does. But are you willing to arouse her first? Because if you can arouse her, then her sex drive will kick in and she'll be on board. So the person who's pushing needs to look at what they're doing when they push. Because it's not necessarily that the other person doesn't want to have sex. It's just that your invitation is not being accepted. 
Right. Sort of like you said, I think at the beginning, uh, Tony, you said something about, you know, men thinking they are better at sex than they are or know more about sex than they do. And I think that that is an example of it. Um, mm -hmm. And and I agree, like women or partners need to also understand that although you may feel violated or like it was unwanted in that context to mm -hmm. also remind yourself like wait stop this is my partner who loves me why would my partner be purposely trying like to get kind of rational right yeah. why would they be purposely trying to piss me off or turn me off or harm me while i'm doing the dishes when that really you know to go like it, it may be awkward mm -hmm. and and just not smooth <laughs> you know but to sort of if we can go from there and be a little compassionate and maybe like baby I, I love you but that's doing nothing for me now give me 15 minutes and you know when these dishes are done and i'll be much more you know receptive yeah. um well that's couples work that's the talking absolutely and it's a it's you know it's so often couples have the intention to connect but i often say one person speaking Chinese and the other speaking Farsi and they want to talk. And that's so wonderful. They want to talk, but a lot of times the guys will, the men will do a high school group, you know, what used to be okay in high school, like a hit on the butt or grab. <laughs> and like you said, Tony, it's just, you know, some women just want to be held or a light kiss or, you know, going back to, wooing you know pick a flower you know my husband and i often will write i love you by the coffee maker because everybody's so busy but that's you know when he writes back to me it's like it fills my soul just the little things is just you know charming or um non-verbal little write it in coffee grounds yeah on the coffee ground no we haven't gotten that creative but that's okay. <laughs> i gotta suggest that if you love me you'll write a heart in the coffee grounds <laughs> but anyway anyway and so they can keep educating because you know if it's a long-term marriage what was okay 20 years ago before three babies menopause might not be the same way well she always yeah. loved me to you know smack her ass well you know well again can't. that goes back to the like why somebody might really like uh or be drawn into a new uh experience outside of their relationship because of that right so like i think about this and, and you've both talked about this a little bit like how to keep the passion alive looking at my partner with beginner's mind so, or, or, and not just beginner's mind, the Buddhist concept, but also beginner's eyes, where I'm looking at him as if I'm just seeing him and, and I'm remembering what it felt like to see him, like in those first months when I would see him and get butterflies. And, and I can do that. I can summon that, that feeling and bring it into the present and look at him with as much amazement as the man he is now, as I did uh, to the man he was then when I met him. And I think that in a new relationship, you know, or, or experience, you know, the first couple times you're with someone, if they come up behind you and you're doing the dishes and they're grabbing you, th that might be like, fuck yeah, I'm totally into yeah. that. Let's do it here on the kitchen floor. But, right. you know, 10 years into it, you may have children, you've got all these other things. It's like, 
we're gonna be together every night for the rest of our night. Can we, you know, let's just wait until we're in a better position. You know, like logistics start to play a bigger role over time, and the spontaneity kind of goes out of it. And it doesn't well, have to the be woman's a bad thing. probably more aroused. The woman's probably already aroused in the during the early months because maybe they've been on a date where she, one of them has made dinner and she's doing the dishes, and so those that energy is already going. But you're right. If it's just the, the end of a long day and the kids have finally gotten to bed and she's doing the dishes and then that comes up, it's a whole different energy. It's a, it's it's kind of a, speaking a different language in a sense. They're not communicating. Well, I always talk to my couples about quickies and different places in their room or in a car. Like, <laughs> juice it up, spice it up. You know, if you're saying it's so boring – um, you know, come to the table with some new f- ideas. And again, there's a lot of fear about, well, she won't really want to do it. She'll think I'm, you know, perverted or nasty or um, I, she might reject me. But, you know, if you don't ask, you never know. So um, I have a lot of couples doing quickies now when they never thought, yeah. in, you know, in, in their closets, which is uh, great. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. for them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if either of you work with, um, or might I think maybe both of you probably do because it's more and more common now. But uh, like non-hetero couples, same-sex couples, or you know, um, polyamorous. I know we we mentioned that non-monogamous couples. I mean, what are we seeing in those? relationships can we learn anything from them are they having the same difficulties as hetero couples because i know especially for um for gay men that they have a they have a different attitude towards fidelity um as opposed to heterosexual or lesbian couples tend to be far less permissive in in terms of multiple partners yeah, well, I mean, I I have uh, both gay couples and uh, I would say lesbian couples, but they don't all identify as lesbian. Um, so I would say same-sex couples of both genders. And, you know, th- yes, the issues are pretty much the same uh, when it comes to trust and safety and intimacy. But with two women, what I always look at is, you know, you have the, double the oxytocin. So generally what you have is they're very closely bonded, but the sex very quickly goes out the window. Um, and, you know, for many of them, that's fine. They they don't mind that. But I, I tell them, you know, if you want to have a vibrant sex life, you're going to have to get out of the cozy once in a while. With gay men, uh, yeah, they they usually um, they usually start their relationships open you know, more often than not. And and they tend to, to value the companionship, which oftentimes is difficult to find in the gay community. So um, an infidelity of some sort is not as the same threat as it is for a heterosexual marriage. It, it might be a bump in the road, but usually the problem I see there is they already have an open relationship. And because they haven't attended to their primary relationship, one of the partners falls in love with one of their outside lovers, and that's what they usually come in for. So uh, I wanted to ask, Tony, I really didn't touch on this at the beginning, but how did you come to do this work? What brought you to this 
work. I know you're you're a fellow Antioch graduate, right? Um, yes. And you uh -huh. worked with children. We both worked with children as well. So what brought you into this couples and sex therapy world? Kind of, could you just tell us a little bit about your journey? Uh, sure. Um, well, I work with teens. Um, I did a couple years interning at Fairfax High, and it, initially I wanted to work with teens. I had the deluded idea that <clears throat> that I would be like the cool guy that the teens would want to talk to. But what was so funny <laughs> is they just saw me as the old guy who was their counselor. <laughs> I remember one teen at Fairfax High, I had seen her for a couple years, and, and we were ending because she was graduating. I said, you know, do, do you want to you've never talked to me about dating. And I said, I have all these years of experience and, and information. And I said, you're not curious to learn anything. She says, Ooh, that'd be gross. I wouldn't talk to you about dating. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be that cool guy, but I like the teens, but it's a very different type of therapy. But what happened is I initially in my internship at Southern California counseling center, I avoided couples for two years because I was going through my own relationship challenges and I felt that I couldn't be with couples. It would trigger me too much. But eventually I started working with them and, and, and I, I had some good couples where we dove in. I didn't know what I was doing, but we really cared about each other and, and it changed my view. I realized that people could love each other very, very strongly and still have trouble. And that was news to me, believe it or not. So um, as I got into private practice internship, I found that I liked working with couples and, and everybody was pointing me towards the ACAS training with Dr. Walter Brackelman's at UCLA. And so I went there for two years. And once I found his tool, which is called the Dialogue of Intimacy, I was sold. It made a difference in my life in a major way. And I started using it. And for, for me, I, I like it because couples work, you know, they're coming in, they're coming out. Usually you don't get them for long term. So it's a little riskier, but I like the variety. Um, I like being active in the room. Um, most people who come in individually are talking about relationship issues. Um, so why not have the relationship in the room? And finally, there's something incredibly moving when I'm successful at getting them to connect and I see them look at each other in the room and the tears come to their eyes and that's the true relationship, you know? And so that's something that doesn't happen with just an individual. Of course it can happen between the therapist and the, and the client, but I find that um, couples are in trouble and I love doing this work. It, it's very meaningful. It, it makes my day more interesting. And now that I kind of have an idea of what I'm doing, you know, it's it's nice to be known for a particular skill. Does that answer your question? It sure does. Yeah. And of course, it's transformed my relationships. We all know that we're in process, you know, so I, I, I don't think it's it's odd that that we're often drawn to a specialty that resonates with with the work that we're doing on ourselves. I, I just want to say that's not enough. I, you know. I th you know, I'm, I'm going to write an article that says the danger of working with what you know is what you don't know. 
mm-hmm. because uh, I still think it's important to get training. Oh, absolutely. Oh. That's what's so cool about this work is that it's constant learning, uh, not just from the work you're doing in the room, but we we're required to, and there's opportunities and we get to converse and interact with our experienced colleagues who are some who are ahead of us, some who are coming up behind us and share and, and grow from all of that. So I agree. I think that that's, um, one of the best parts of this work. Yeah. I love that we learn from our clients. You know, I think that I get so empowered, uh, like you said, Tony, when you see that shift, when you see that connection Mm -hmm. and it comes out of a lot of hard work and a willingness and a desire for two people to heal. And that is so beautiful and so spiritual and so magic, you know, and, um, and I love it when, when they leave because they're ready to just jump into life again, you know? And, yeah. and so when I don't see them, it's a good sign after so much hard work. Uh-huh. I love working with couples because no session is the same. No. And no couple, you know, with the multicultural issues uh, on top of it. I think cultural awareness is so important where we come from and what your culture and society says about marriage, about commitment, about sex, um, about fantasies, you know, about uh, taboo things that they keep in their head. And when they learn to verbally express it and then you see trust rebuild, it's really beautiful. Yeah, you have to be sensitive to that. You're, I, I love that you said that. It's I've had a challenge of working with a couple who are dealing with some sex issues where one of them, their culture, does not allow them to talk about sex, um, even with each other. And so I have to talk around it in order to respect that. And um, it's a challenge. So I talk about the other issues. I cannot imagine that that would be definitely a challenge. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if I, I, I'm so present in the room myself. I'm so not a blank slate. I don't know how I would address that, but I'm going to think about that. That might be my dream journal exercise. So Wendy, let's talk dream journal exercise. Dr. Wendy's dream journal. What what you yeah, so, what are you thinking? Well, you know, there's so many wonderful things to explore, but uh, you know, since we're talking about infidelity and cheating and um, you know, I kind of go back to first, what did you see with your parents? Um, what were the messages, verbal and nonverbal messages? And when I talk about journaling, I don't think it's necessarily Dear journal, today it's 75 degrees outside. I just (laughs) ate a bologna sandwich. (laughs) Um, You know, you can do the bullet points. You can draw pictures. You can do squiggles. You can write it in code so nobody uh, understands it. You know, it's just good to get it out. And so, you know, maybe what you what you saw growing up and and what the current situation is with your relationship. And then part two of, you know, what it would look like, what, what did you want it to look like growing up for your parents? You know, the, the what ifs, 
And what do you want for your relationship? And I just always say dream, dream, and nothing is too crazy. And, you know, even if it feels really silly, still just dream, take a deep breath. You don't even have to buy into it. You can say this is really stupid and Dr. Wendy sucks, uh, but I'm going to dream that, you know, we're having a flowing, beautiful sex life or we're going uh, more actively dating. We're going to learn swing dancing together, whatever it is. Um, no, no judgment because that comes up so often, you know, when we judge uh, where you can start to dream and then you pull it back. So I just, you know, and, and really it's your old story. And then your new story, um, you know, people can really create whatever they want. They definitely can heal. And, um, and Esther Perel is, you know, amazing. Her, her work is incredible. So I would definitely, uh, have people YouTube, read her books, um, articles. Yeah, She's got a out. lot of wonderful tools, uh, for couples to develop hope when they feel so hopeless. Yeah. You know what I like what you just said is um, oftentimes when I ask couples, um, if this marriage were better tomorrow, what would be going on? And they'll make a list of what would not what would not be going on. And when I say, OK, well, if if he were yelling at you so much, what would he be doing? And they'll say, um, I don't know. And so I like the idea that that dreaming is is facing forward and for me the most powerful question in therapy whether it's individual or couples is what now because you can spend a lot of time there's value in looking at the past uh, but not staying there there's more value in looking forward and saying okay well what would be happening and it's really telling when a couple doesn't have any idea of what would be happening because they're so focused on what they don't want to have happen you know, so I like that idea of getting them to dream about the future and it puts them kind of in a, if they join together, then that's something else that could connect them. Dream together, you know. Yeah. Oh my God. Maybe you could have a, a couple's journal too, where to both people either you could write back and forth to each other oh, yeah. or I don't know, this is just, I'm just spitballing mm -hmm. here, right? <laughs> or, you yeah. know, that you could write it together. Like one person is there, you're talking and one person's typing it or writing it down or making the list. Like we were just making that. a grocery list last night together, but you know, where you but you're collaboratively <laughs> doing it together. Um, mm -hmm. And the other thing that I thought uh, that we've talked about that might also be good for the dream journal is also whether you're in a relationship or not at the moment, the your what are your fidelity boundaries? What are you, what is your cheating threshold? To be clear about that, um, and maybe if you're in a relationship, both partners make a list or do it in their individual journals, and then come back and compare and like, wow, I didn't know that that you thought you know hugging that long was you know. It, some kind of uh, an infidelity or you know what I mean that it could open up mm -hmm. a conversation as as well I just kind of wanted to throw that out there on top of, of what you right. both have just said as long as it, I, I feel as long as the conversation doesn't stop with with just the agreement I think the agreement is important but I actually have had couples where it's less of an issue that they're hugging somebody for a long time and more of an issue that what it then activates in them is not feeling like they're number one anymore. Yeah. You know, so 
But yeah, I, I love the idea of agreements. Absolutely. Like, is it okay for you to look at somebody when we're together? You know, is it okay for you to jack off to porn, blah, blah, blah. But also, I think in the agreements, how are we going to uh, support and strengthen the, the specialness that we have together? You know, this, this unique thing. How are we not going to take each other for granted? You know, a lot of poly couples, they do it by reserving certain things. Like they'll say, okay, well, no kissing with your lovers or no intercourse with the lovers or no, no activity in our bed. So why can't we do that in monogamous relationships, you know, and be like, well, you know, um, we always, we always reserve Friday nights for us, you know, or like you were saying, Jenny, every other night, you know, we have some sort of sexual connection. Yeah. And, 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 and again, all of it is, as you're saying, like a place for the conversation to start. And if it's not with a partner, it could be with your therapist. So, you know, you could go in to see Dr. Wendy or Tony or myself and have your list and say, you know, I was thinking about infidelity and in my last relationship, these things happened and this triggered me or this really bothers me. And maybe they start off saying, is this normal? Uh, and then you can have a com- <laughs> you can have a conversation about common and normal. Uh, but, you know, it, it could also be really helpful to bring something like that into the room with a professional who can help you talk about whether that even matters. If it's bothersome to you and something you would like to change, then that's something you want to talk about. But if it's something you feel like this is something I am and will be like for the rest of my life, then you're going to either have to negotiate it with your partner or your next partner and uh accept it Mm -hmm. so you don't want to be miserable (laughs) no some people do they do want to be miserable that's true well yeah there 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 is some comfort sometimes in in that it's the devil you know um so Lots of different uh, books and articles and uh, people have been mentioned. I will make sure that all of that is in the notes. Um, so please don't worry about, you know, writing it down. You can look it up uh, and, and find it in, in the notes if you're listening. Um, and where can people find you, Tony? Um, the best thing is they can go to my website, which is CouplesTherapistLA.com, and my phone number is there. Um, I respond to phone calls within 24 hours. Uh, they can email me or even text me, um, since that's what everybody's doing these days. Um, and uh, I do offer uh, free 15-minute consultations for couples and individuals in my office in Hollywood that are no obligations, so we can check each other out. Fantastic. Um, so as always, you can find me, Jenny with an I. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Jenny JV Wilson. I'm on Instagram at The Preppy Rebel. My email is Jennifer JV Wilson at gmail.com. My website is Jenny JV Wilson.com. We're both on Facebook, Wendy and I. Uh, and you can find Dr. Wendy also on her YouTube channel. And where else can they find you, Wendy? Oh, uh, Instagram, I am Dr. Wendy. Twitter at Ask 
Dr. Wendy, my website, www spelled out, Dr. D O C T O R Wendy, um, or you'll see Dr. Wendy O'Connor, who lives in New York, and she is blonde, and that would not be me at the moment. Uh, at the moment, but I do tend to go back and forth on blonde, regardless of, yeah. So, uh, what else? And yeah, call us 310 712. One two three zero. Send us the email, a text. Ask us questions. Let us know what topics you all want to hear for upcoming shows. And thank you so much, Tony. It was great having you on our show. I'm so glad you were able to join us today. I was glad to be here because this is such an important topic. And I just want to leave this one statement to anybody who's listening. Um, I absolutely believe that. Um, an infidelity in a relationship can be repaired and a relationship can end up better as a result of it. And I just want to communicate that if you're thinking of ending a relationship because of an infidelity, to think twice and perhaps go into therapy because it would be, it really is a shame when otherwise good relationships end because of one cheating incident. It affects family, it affects individuals, it affects friends. Yeah. So it can be it can be repaired. Definitely. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, you can send us questions, comments, or topic suggestions. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play. Um, give us some stars. Leave us a review. And you can also reach us at RelationshipShowLA at gmail.com. Uh, Again, everything will be in the notes. Tony, I'm thrilled you are here with us today. Thank you so much for downloading Skype and and going to all the trouble. Uh, Thank you. Yay. Uh, So until next time, as I always say, be as authentically yourself as you can possibly stand. And as Dr. Wendy always says, stay open. (laughs) (laughs) I've only been doing this for like four years now. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you like I love you. Step down, they don't love you like I love you. Can't you see there's no other man above you? What a wicked way to treat the girl that loves you. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Hold down, they don't love you like I love you. Something don't feel right because it ain't right, especially coming up after midnight. I smell your secrets and I'm not too perfect to ever feel this worthless. How did it come down to this? Scrolling through your call list. I don't want to lose my pride, but I'm going to fuck me up a bitch. Know that I kept it sexy and know I kept it fun. There's something that I'm missing, maybe my head for one. What's worst? Looking jealous or crazy, jealous or crazy. Or like being walked all over lately, walked all over lately, I'd rather be crazy. Hold up, they don't love you like I love you. Slow down, they don't love you like I love you. Back up, they don't love you like I love you. Step down, they don't love you like I love you. All the rain drops, all the rain drops. Oh, it's awfully, awfully against my window. Oh, oh, oh. All you gotta do is make believe you love me. 
one more time. Oh, good times. For the good times. And here's what you ought to do. If you're thinking of ending a relationship because of an infidelity, to think twice and perhaps go into therapy because it would be, it really is a shame when otherwise good relationships end 